In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Philip Institute podcast where we talk about how to teach the faith to the people that we encounter, our family, our friends, other Christians, people of other religions, and even atheists. Um, your hosts today are myself, Mickey Siba, the Seasons of Infancy and Initiation Specialist. Basically, that's just faith formation for ages 0 to 12. And me, Deanna Johnston, the Director of Family Life for the Institute. So today, in our episode, we are going to discuss our personal relationship with Jesus Christ um, and the importance of sharing our story with others. I know sometimes when we talk about, as Catholics, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, um, we don't really know how to respond to that. Like if someone says, hey, do you have a, um, a relationship with Jesus? Sometimes we're like... I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. Right. It's just not vocabulary that right. we use often. Right. Um, but knowing how to answer that question, like mm. who is Jesus to us? Um, what is our story? What's our relationship like with him is so vital because um, Jesus, uh, like Bishop Strickland has said before, you know, to us, is Jesus a person or is he a personality? Uh, exactly. And to have that relationship is of the utmost importance. And so knowing the impact that Christ has had on our lives, where he, we have seen him work, um, is kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about our stories and why it's important. Yeah, so. it's exciting. And I think even as, as catechists, and a, a lot of the folks that we serve in the Institute are teaching the faith in some capacity, I think even as, as catechists, we have to remember that we need to know our story, even as we're teaching the faith and being able to articulate that story to the children or the adults that we're, we're sharing it with. Because like you said, it's not just uh, these random facts about Catholicism, but this is an encounter with a real person, and what better witness than to share the personal impact of Christ on our own lives and and why we're doing what we're doing. Exactly, and I think, too, um, one of the, I mean, the Catholic Church has always taught the teachings that she has. They are beautiful, they are wonderful, but they're also transformative. Mm. And um, one of the things that we have to realize that when we encounter who Jesus is, it changes us, or it should, because that's what Jesus does. He transforms our lives as his children um, once we see that connection. And knowing your story is so important, because even though the teachings don't change, I think it's important for the people that we're sharing the teachings with that these teachings, this person, Jesus, has changed the whole trajectory of my life. Exactly. So we're going to share a little bit of our stories today, um, but we do want to empower you to think about your own witness and why it's important. One of the things that um, I was sort of, I heard this talk and it just inspired me, is the guy said uh, that the Holy Spirit has chosen your background 
um, to be an effective witness to those he places in your life. Mm. And I just thought about that, like God wants to use every part of our story to use to teach about him to others. And I think at that moment, and this was really just, I don't know, a couple of months ago, <laughs> and I've been sharing my story for a long time, but just the importance and the power that your witness has, because no one can look at you and say, no, your story is wrong. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. They can't be like, no, Jesus didn't change your life in that way. Right. Um, they may look at some of the teachings of the church and be like, I'm not sure if I agree with that yet. But your personal story bears an incredible testimony because no one can say that your experience is untrue. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's so powerful because it carries that weight with it. Um, and I think, too, and I taught high school kids um, theology for 11 years. And one of the things that ended up having the most impact on them was when I would share that relationship that I had with Jesus. And they really connected to that. They started to see a little bit of a humanity behind the faith and why I lived it. And I found that that was really powerful. I don't know if you've experienced that. No, that's um, awesome. And just thinking about how it, it makes the faith more more tangible. I mean, I know as Catholics, we've got all the smells and bells and, and all of that. And there's a, there's the beautiful liturgy. We have the Eucharist, but sometimes it can feel disconnected or not as, as intimate. So hearing stories or, or having that witness of others saying, this is the personal impact that Christ has had on my life. It inspires others to, to think about, okay, how, what's he doing in my life? (laughs) And how am I going to respond to that? Has he acted in my life? Have I been open to that? Um, And I think as as Catholics, especially, we don't always take the time to discern that. So it's awesome that that you share that with your high school students. Well, one of the things I'm going to share today is sort of the story, because it was um, quite impactful and powerful for me. But before we sort of jump into that, um, as I was preparing for today's podcast, um, I was doing a little scripture reading, and um, one of the things that Jesus asks his apostles, um, it's in Mark chapter twenty or Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-nine. He looks at them and he says, "Who do you say that I am?" And the way that they answer that question, and I think the way that we all answer that question, it invokes a deeply personal response. Um, And with that response comes, I mean, from the answer that we give that question flows everything, Mm -hmm. how we live, how we think, our perspective. Um, This was sort of the image that I came up with um, is that it's like having corrective eyewear, Oh, right? That that there is a moment when, um, like if your eyesight is not as good as it should be, Mm -hmm. um, but you've lived like that for so long, you just think that that's reality, that that's how clear everything mm-hmm. should be. And then once you get these glasses or contacts, right, that there's a clarity that you never noticed before. Yeah. And um, and it's hard for you to even think about what life was like before that. And when we look at our stories, because I know we're going to share different perspectives of sort of how our lives have been touched by who Jesus is and how we've answered that question, um, who Christ is to us. But the idea that it's been clear for us, whether it was in a moment of clarity or just in a gradual, things became more clear. We've mm-hmm. been able to see a distinct difference yep. between the blurriness of life before our encounter with Christ and sort of the clarity that he's brought either over time or in a moment. And I, I think that that's something that's really important. Um, also, one of the things that Jesus is at the Last Supper, 
paste is after he already washed the disciples' feet. So they had spent three years with him in ministry, saw his miracles and things that they did. And he's having a conversation with Philip, not the evangelist, Philip the mm-hmm. um, apostle. And um, he looks at Philip and he says, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me? Mm. Uh, that's John chapter 14, mm. verse mm. 9. And I think sometimes we have to look at that question. Like, are there times when we have been with Jesus, right? Or we thought that he was there. But do we really see him for who he is and know him personally? Because there is a difference between knowing facts about Jesus. Right. And then knowing who who he is. Who Jesus is. is. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And I, that, that is a powerful question. I feel like I need to take that to prayer. (laughs) That's, it's, I think especially as, as cradle Catholics, because we just, we grow up with this and it's beautiful. Like having, we're baptized when we're babies, maybe. Um, We receive the sacraments when we're young and it can become just this routine in our relationship with Jesus. Like, well, that's what I, that's what I do on Sundays. (laughs) Like me and it's me and Jesus on Sundays and I'm at mass but man do we do we actually take that time to develop that intimate relationship where it it expands beyond just a moment on Sunday an hour on Sundays to where we can recognize Jesus in multiple moments of our lives daily yeah and I think too the more sort of when we put those corrective lenses on and we see with more clarity the more we're able to recognize all of the moments or at least hopefully all of the moments when God is Um, speaking to us and revealing things to us. And one of the things, so when I was growing up, a little bit about my story is I grew up uh, as a cradle Catholic, and I never really doubted the existence of God. Um, I know some people struggle with that issue, but that was never something that I ever thought about. You know, I was like, I conceded, okay, God exists. Yeah. But it didn't really make a difference in my life. I wasn't a really terrible kid. I mean, I made good choices. I had really great parents who taught me about, you know, being respectful yeah. and honorable and that sort of thing. Um, and we would go to church every Sunday, but I didn't have this personal relationship with Jesus. Um, I would pray, but only because I didn't want to feel guilty about not praying. <laughs> Um, and, uh, cause we were always taught like, you need to do what, whatever your job is. And I knew that my job as a Christian was to pray. Yeah. So I would just ramble like the, our father off really fast. And night before I went to bed and be like, okay, done. Check like a good Catholic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, um, so I never really doubted whether or not God existed, but his love for me or my love for him. Mm. I mean, it just didn't change anything for me. Came from a good family. Um, had really great friends, really close rural country town, um, and would go to Mass every Sunday. But again, it didn't really make a difference for me. And my cousin kept telling me, hey, you have to come to youth group, you have to come to youth group. And I, um, <laughs> confession, I wasn't a really great person <laughs> because I thought youth groups were only for people who couldn't find friends out in the real world. I know, I know. I even hate to admit it. Um, but I, I didn't want that sort of like tag as like a holy roller um, yeah. or Jesus freak. Um, those were the words that they used back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. yes. Uh, and I just, I didn't want to go because mm. I was like, it's not, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, my cousin kept asking. I mean, he was very persistent. And so I finally was like, okay, I'll go. I'll keep him quiet. Like, I'll go once. I'm convinced I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I'm never going to go back. But at least yeah. I can tell him I went, so don't ask me again. So I go, and there was just something different about the people there. Um, you know, in high school, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but in my experience in high school, there's just, like, a lot of pettiness 
and drama. Um, but that pettiness became like your everything. Mm-hmm. And what you talked about, what your conversation centered on, either clothes or who was dating who or who went to this party and whatever, you know. And um, at this group, though, the conversations had a depth to them that I was like, it was different. I mean, they talked about our future and where we are in our relationship with Jesus. And I thought, no one's ever really asked me these questions before. And I hadn't really thought about it. So I continued to go back to youth group. Again, not not because of Jesus, really. Um, But there was just something different and was intriguing. There was a a joy and a peace about this group of individuals. Um, So I kept going back. And over time, we just developed really, really great relationships and friendships. We it got to a point where every weekend we were going to like adoration on Friday or Saturday. We would hang out at each other's houses, pray the rosary, and then do capture the flag afterwards. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so my parents, I would be like, hey, can I go to youth group? It's like Friday night. And I'm like, can I go pray the rosary? And they're like, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course. Go for it. Have fun. And, um, but yeah, we didn't hang out. We hung out all the time. And it was, um, it was, I consider it a unique experience because of the bonds that we built. While I, while I was there. And um, in that process, I met, met a girl named Katie. Uh, she was a year older than I was. And when I was a junior um, in high school, and she was a senior, she had gotten diagnosed with terminal cancer. And um, up until that point, I had never seen anyone that I cared about um, or was good friends with um, or loved. I've never seen anyone suffer mm. like I saw her suffer. Um, it took hold of her real quickly. So, I mean, in a matter of weeks, she was like skin and bone. She was in a wheelchair and you could tell she was in so much pain, but not once did I ever hear her complain. Mm. Not once. I mean, um, I was in volleyball, so I would complain if I didn't get to start the volleyball game, (laughs) you know? And, um, and I just remember looking at her and, uh, her witness and thinking, how can she be like that? How can she be like, there was a piece about her. Um, and a joy about her, and, a, and she was smiling, and she was always concerned with others. She would always ask how you were doing. Um, and I remember thinking, I don't understand where, what, like, what is driving her, this sort of source of, of peace and joy that she has. And she would always talk about like, how great God was. And I remember thinking, how can she do that? Like, mm-hmm. how can she proclaim the greatness of God when, when literally, like, her, she yeah. is losing her life? And that was powerful. And... The night before she passed away, because um, we would go hang out at her, hang out at her house all the time. Um, we would pray with her and with her family. And um, the night bef- before she passed away, um, we were all at her house praying. And at that point, she was too weak. Normally, she would sit in the living room couch with us while we were, you know, reminisce about old youth group stories and pray together and just share memories. Um, but that night, she was too weak um, to come out into the living room. And so she started calling people one by one into her bedroom. And my cousin and I we were inseparable in high school. So she called us both back at the same time. And when I walked into her room, um, she was sitting in her recliner chair. And I remember every breath that she took was such hard work. Like it was loud and raspy, and you could tell it was painful. And um, her mom and dad whispered. They said, hey. They're, they're here and she leaned over she looked at us and she said I love you and then she turned her head back and started to continue to try to breathe again I remember going and kneeling on the floor in the living room I mean I was consumed by tears and emotion um, and there were a lot of things going through my mind when I was kneeling down in prayer after that moment 
Um, one, I couldn't believe that someone would literally spend like their last breaths mm-hmm. telling these people around them that they love them. And I also, and the fact that someone would even do that to me, um, blew me away. And, um, also they're like, I remember saying, Lord, I want that even if I'm suffering, even mm. if I'm dying, <laughs> that I can be joyful and peaceful. Um, I wanted what she had. And that night was the first night that I said my real first genuine prayer. I mean, everything else was just like, let me just check off the box and you know that I prayed. And as a junior in high school, that was the first time I said my first real prayer. Mm. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't really know how she, ha- what she has or how she got it, but I want that. I want to have joy even in suffering. I want to have peace even in chaos. And I knew that it was possible because I saw it in her. And I feel like from that moment, God was like, all right, hang on. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Yeah, if you want it, this is what it is. (laughs) And so for me, that moment was a deep, intimate encounter with Jesus because I really felt God speaking through her. Mm -hmm. So when she said, I love you, I knew it came from her. Like she was telling us, I love you. But also I knew God was speaking to me through her. And I think that was the first time I ever really was convinced of God's love for me. And that changed my life forever. I mean, I was um, kneeling on that living room floor. I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be like Katie to someone else. Mm -hmm. And she was Jesus to me. So basically, I want to be like Jesus to whoever I can. And so that's sort of set me on my trajectory to um, go to college, major in theology and religious studies, do youth ministry, mm-hmm. taught in Catholic high schools for 11 years, and now I'm here. And that's what I've done since my junior year. That's so awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really powerful. I love that it was an encounter that launched you into action, that it wasn't just like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> Had my mountaintop moment with Jesus, and yeah. that's it. But it, it literally set you on a path for, okay, I'm, I've experienced the love of God, and now I want other people to experience that. In the in the same way that I have, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I could. Well, I couldn't imagine like um, just sitting with that, just sitting with that and being like, okay, that was nice. Yeah, but I'm not. I mean, for me, it really set me on fire. Mm. Um, but I guess God needed to speak to. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't hearing him. He needed to speak to me in a very big Real way. Loud. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, this child of mine. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And if. Those of you who have met Mickey know that you you always walk away from a conversation with Mickey feeling oh feeling the love of Jesus. So. You're so nice. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, and Mickey loves meetings, too. Which, I do. I do. <laughs> which is great. Awesome. Well, my story is, is a little bit different in that it, it doesn't seem like it was a, a precise moment, but kind of like this gradual um, correcting of vision, as you were you were saying earlier. Um, and it seems really silly to, to start with this, but I loved volleyball. Amen. <laughs> I, lo- I, I loved it. Um, I started playing in fifth grade, and it was like from the moment um, that I started playing, I had a very clear vision that, okay, Deanna is going to play volleyball for the U.S. women's team. I'm going to go to the Olympics. And sure, God, I'll discern religious life or whatever you want, but it has to fit into my my plans and I remember we had we had a religious sister come and visit our class I think it was in seventh or eighth grade and it was you know one of those vocation talks and I was like but can you play but can you play sports can you (laughs) (laughs) 
can I play volleyball if I'm going to be a nun? And it was just so, I was so laser focused on that. But, but it's really looking back, it's really cool to see how God used that desire for something greater. Um, so as I went into high school, uh, my freshman year of high school, um, my school actually led the March for Life in D.C. Uh, January of every year. So it was January of 2001, and um, anyone who's been on that um, knows that there is a vigil mass the night before the march at the Basilica. It's a beautiful vigil mass. Um, and then the students go back to Catholic University of America. There's like this big slumber party, basically, <laughs> like guys and girls separate. Um, but you're on the gym floor. But that night, I remember that they offered all-night adoration. And I was like, okay, I, I feel like I should probably do that. That sounds like a good thing to do. Um, so I went to confession, and I went into the room where they were having adoration, the, the um, exposition of the, the Blessed Sacrament. And for the first time, Jesus was like right up in my face. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's, it was an intense moment of realizing like that, that is Jesus. And I'm a cradle Catholic. My dad's a deacon in the diocese of Memphis. Catholicism has just been part of our lives. We've always been active in ministry. <clears throat> so it wasn't as though I, I never believed in the, the Eucharist or, or the teachings of the church. But that moment for me was, was a realization that wow, like this is Jesus and he's right here and I want to experience this more. And from that moment on, it was, um, it, it really compelled me to spend more time in adoration. So as I was still pursuing this, uh, this dream of volleyball, adoration was always something that, that just brought a lot of consolation and, and joy. Um, but my senior year of high school, and that's the year when you've got like the recruiters and the scouts and you're pursuing scholarships and things like that. Well, that um, means that you were really good because nope. I, play, <laughs> no, I played, but there were no scouts coming to my <laughs> no. game. No, I just played a lot. We had um, we had a, a club team or junior Olympic. Um, so I was playing year round and it was still like number one goal was to, to play in college and then to play for the U.S. women's team. Definitely not the best player on the team, but that was still the the prime uh, the prime goal, and, and everything in my life centered around how am I going to get to play volleyball in college and beyond. Well, senior year we had a, a team camp, and uh, it was like the last game of the the camp it was at University of Memphis. I think the score was eleven fifteen, and teammate hit a ball out of out of bounds I went after it but realized I would have hit my my I would have run into my coach and I should have just kept running Um, but I stopped abruptly and I tore my ACL and my meniscus cartilage so instantly like I knew I was done I was done for this season it was it was not fun (laughs) it was not the best Um, had surgery and just on and on like I thought well maybe I'll maybe I'll play club ball in the spring but it just became very clear that my plans were not going to work out the way that I wanted. And that was devastating at first. There were a lot of tears and it's like, okay, this was this God, this is what I wanted. Now what, (laughs) what am I supposed to do with this? But again, it was just like these consolations that came through going to adoration just spending time with him that God continued to prove his faithfulness. And I ended up going to a different school that I, I was not on my radar at all <laughs> as far as, um, as as far as pursuing my, my college degree. Um, I went to the University of Memphis and got a bachelor's in philosophy, but I ended up studying Spanish more, which led to opportunities to study abroad and then do mission work. 
And that led me to, um, to Texas, <laughs> where I ended up meeting my husband and getting involved in ministry. And uh, I started my, my first, I guess, my big, big girl job was working for a parish um, in Kansas. And all of that, like I can look back and just see how God's hand has just guided me through from from being so focused on a dream that I thought was huge. I mean, U.S. women's team, <laughs> Olympics, <laughs> like this is huge. But God just... Sh- he just kept showing me that his dreams and his his plans for my life were so much bigger than anything I could imagine for myself. So when I look at my scar on my left knee, I I just see like that that was the beginning of something that led me to where I am now. But it took surrender, and that's that's an ongoing lesson. I'm a mother of three and one on the way in January, and. It's it's like I can look back to 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 where I was, you know, 16 years ago, and say I think it's 16 years ago, <laughs> maybe more. Um, but to look back and say, okay, if God could lead me through these different trials, if if His hand can guide me, and and these different ways, surely he will remain faithful now. And, you know, as a mom, like yeah. there, there are sacrifices, like we have a plan, but kids <laughs> remind <laughs> us that that plan is not always going to, going to work out the way that we want. Um, but yeah, just, just learning that, that God is faithful. And, um, I think one of the Bible verses, and I think it's one of those Bible verses that they put on all of the graduation stuff, Jeremiah 29, 11, yeah. for I know well the plans I have Happy. in mind for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for woe, plans to give you a future full of hope. And yeah, like we see that all over the place at graduation time, but there's, there was something very comforting about that as a senior in high school. And then being able to see that verse and, and others like it that just remind you like, yeah, God is, God is faithful. God is so good. He's so good. And his plans are just so much bigger than what I could imagine for myself. Yeah. And I think that that has been, um, and I think that that is sort of the experience of anyone with who had, when they recognize that encounter with Jesus, mm. right? When their eyes were sort of open again, whether it was a, a gradual process, mm-hmm. um, sort of a softening in the heart or like a St. What I call a St. Paul moment, yeah. right? Kicked you off the horse. Big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you experience it in a big way and then it does change things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does change everything. Right. If it doesn't change everything, <laughs> then I think that's when we have to really look at, okay, well, what's, what is my hiccup? Yep. You know, what is, um, that thing that's keeping me from the surrender. And I think that I love that, that you said that you had to surrender Mm. of the will. And I think that, and this is something that I mistakenly thought that once I handed my life to Jesus, that kind of like, I don't know, maybe it was like this idea of Disney, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like all the drama happens before the princess meets the prince. And then once she meets the prince, like they live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. And everything is good to go. Yeah. And I remember um, after I was like, okay, okay, Jesus, like, I really want to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm set. Like, this great. is my, yeah, yeah, this is my like Disney moment right yeah. now. It's happily ever after. And I remember having some of the, the hardships that I did after that. And I, I also sort of struggle with that because I didn't get it. I was mm-hmm. like, wait. Why? I thought this was, a, everyone said that Jesus is great and this is easier. Like, right. <laughs> did I miss something? It's, right. you know, um, but I think it's this idea of like constant surrender, right? Um, 
And it makes it easier for people, I think, sometimes who have had that encounter, and we've been able to look and see how God's hand has been in all of those things. Mm-hmm. And it's like we know that He's faithful, and we know that He is good, but there's still, I mean, there's still times now, even though I had that really powerful experience where I, f- I know that God spoke to me and said, I love you, there's still times that I feel unloved, mm. right? Or there are mm-hmm. still times when, you know, it's hard to surrender or I hold on to my plans because I'm like, oh, I'm not ready. My plans that. are so good, God. <laughs> They're, They're so, so good. good. <laughs> I thought them all out. <laughs> I know. Right. And there's even times where I've even brought my plans to adoration. Yep. I'm like, okay, Lord. Here's my checklist. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, he's not saying no, so this must be it, you know? Um, But this idea of, like, constant surrender, um, I Mm -hmm. think, is a a beautiful thing to sort of put in our minds in that once we say yes to Jesus, it's not like a one-time thing and Mm -hmm. then you're set. Absolutely. But God God is constantly going to sort of ask you that question that I begin with, like, who do you say that I am? And not just, like, at this one moment, but every morning when we wake up, who am I to you today? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think how he has revealed himself to us um, in these like personal encounters, I think those that those are the the little reminders that we have to remember when life gets hard, mm-hmm. when it gets stressful. Absolutely. And I think that when our plans don't work out, because mm-hmm. I do think that there are people out there who are like, I have really good goals because there's nothing wrong with wanting to yeah. like play in the olympics i know that you're like i would be able to use this platform jesus i'll talk about you like i'll glorify your name there you go um that yeah there are some plans that i thought in my life were very good Mm -hmm. and very holy and Mm -hmm. things just didn't work out and i didn't understand i'm like lord what i want and what i desire it's good and it's actually holy right Mm -hmm. why is this not working out right and it goes back to that constant surrender Mm mm-hmm Right, this mm-hmm. trusting in God. Yep. Right, because if He is the the Lord of the universe, like is He Lord of my life? Exactly. You know, am I going exactly. to trust Him with these big things and these small things, even if what I want is good? There's some things that He wants for us that are far more, far better. Right. Um, right. and we we don't even have the vision for that. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it's crazy to think of like the way that He has worked. In my life, like you were saying, all of those things sort of led you here, and that scar is a reminder for you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when I encountered uh, my friendship with Katie, and it changed everything. Well, it ch- it changed where I was going to go to school, because um, I wasn't going to go anywhere that wasn't in Texas, because <laughs> I'm a Texas girl <laughs> born and raised. So I was like, I have to go to school in Texas. Amen. Um, well, that's not how it worked, and I um, I went to a college in Kansas, Benedictine College. It was great, um, but that's where I met my husband, and then that set us on. Uh, our path that we're at now mm-hmm. and it led us to two children that we adopted and um, a third one that we had and awesome. it kind of like led us here like we never in a million years would have thought we would be yeah. in Tyler um, and just seeing how God has worked in all of that has been beautiful um, but I think it comes down to like okay Lord are we going to trust you right exactly and I think that's where the lives of the saints can be really helpful too. just looking at people who have walked the journey before us and sure maybe they weren't like playing volleyball or whatever (laughs) but um but they experience hardships and actually I my knee injury happened on the feast of Saint Ignatius of Loyola and I was reading his story yeah knee injury I know I was like (laughs) 
connection there. I can't remember the details of the story, but um, if you haven't read it, definitely look it up. He was a soldier, Mm -hmm. like hardcore, and had a knee injury and spent a lot of time in prayer. That's that's the really short version of it. (laughs) But that that led him into um, this this discernment of, of God's will, and now he's. I mean, he's St. Ignatius. Yeah. <laughs> so, and for me, that was a very comforting story at the, to hear that and say, okay, God can take devastation and transform it into something incredible. And then even just hearing from, from other folks in our community, um, just realize like, okay, if God can do that in her life, then surely he hasn't forgotten about me right? Mm-hmm. or that he is going to continue to walk with me through this. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of reading the saints too, because I think sometimes, um, and I feel like I have a pretty powerful story and sort of, um, well, I think everyone thinks that their story is powerful, but maybe yeah. some don't, maybe some are like, I don't have that sort of like a big moment, right. you know, that it's been right. a gradual mm-hmm. progression, um, closer to the heart of God. But even though you see where you are now from where you were, mm-hmm. right? This whole idea of, of conversion is not a one-time thing. Right. When God is right. asking you to turn your will, your heart, your desires closer mm-hmm. to his, right? That mm-hmm. you want what he wants. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes, um, in my experience, some people have been hesitant to share their own story because they're like, oh, I don't have that big, right. that big moment or that St. Paul moment. And right. so they think that their story is insignificant. If you look at the stories of saints, not all of them had these like really big things, you know, right. or like, oh, there's Mother Teresa and she, you know, fed hundreds and thousands and millions of people. And I can't right. do that. Right. Um, but then you see other stories of um, St. Therese, right? And she loved in little ways. A little way, yep. And, um, and I love that, right? Uh, that our story is going to impact us and the people that we meet. Exactly. And the people that we come in contact with. And so stressing, stressing to ourselves and others that your story is important because God is working in it. Mm-hmm. Does that have to be big? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, but I, I have found that some people are hesitant to share because yeah. they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't have like a big. Right. I wasn't a heathen. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not a conversion, right? I've, I've always loved Jesus. No, that's important. And I think especially for our catechists or people who are in these positions where they're sharing the faith mm-hmm. with others, it is especially important that they share their story, that it's it's not enough to just give facts all the time. And the facts are beautiful. The truths of our Catholic faith are incredible. But what gives... Um, I think more credibility to that is when we're able to say, like you've been saying that from, from the very beginning, what is the personal impact that this has had on my life? How has have the teachings of the church impacted me? And, and being able to, to, to articulate that, to, to witness that, I think especially adults with, with kids or, or teens that are in sacrament prep, that, okay, yes, we're learning about the Eucharist. Yes, we're learning about confession. But, hey, here's, here's what that has done in my life and, yeah. and the, the joy that it's brought. Or, yeah, whatever kind of impact that that's had on, on our own personal journeys. Yeah, I think it's important, too, because when we talk about encountering Jesus, right, in the sacraments or in the truth of the teachings of the church, right, that that is God's word, that mm-hmm. that, is, that is 
what God wants to show to us. And it is always for the purpose of our conversion and our growing growing closer to the heart of of Jesus. And so I think to not share your story Mm. and how those things have impacted you um, is leaving out a huge part (laughs) of what God wants to share, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. he, um, encountering him, it is transformative. Right. Um, Right. And if people don't see that, um, they may be like, well, why would I do that? Right. Why would I make right. all of these sacrifices for it to not make a difference? Exactly. Exactly. And that the that the conversion experience is an ongoing thing. Because I think you and I, I don't think either one of us would say like, ah, oh, well, we've arrived. I'm there. We're, yeah. we're done. I've got my <laughs> master's in theology. I'm good. But really that encounter with Christ is supposed to be an ongoing thing, a daily thing. Mm-hmm. That, that daily question of, okay, who do I say that Jesus is? Do I know Jesus personally? Is is Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior? Mm-hmm. And if that is true, how does that direct everything else in my life? The way that I parent, the way I treat my husband, <laughs> my children, my coworkers, everything. Because if that experience really did make a difference, then everything else is going to be different as well. Um, but yeah, never thinking that, well, I've been to the mountaintop yeah. and I'm good. <laughs> so I've, I'm set till heaven. Um, but yeah, that, that there may be multiple encounters with Christ along our journey, but we gotta, we gotta know the story and we gotta share it. Yeah. And I think too, that once, once we sort of put those corrective lenses on, mm-hmm. um, that we are able to see more clearly now that God has been showing up at every moment. Right. And so what we for me, that first initial, like, when I finally realized it, it wasn't that that was the first moment God showed up for me. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I realized it. Yeah. And now that has changed everything, right? And I, I um, would explain this to my students. Sometimes when we have, like, tunnel vision, mm-hmm. um, we're just looking, and we are unaware of what's happening around here because, like, our plans mm-hmm. set us on this on this path. And um, when you start to realize, like, okay, let me expand that. Let me um, break down those barriers and those walls, then you become more able to see how God is guiding you um, in your life, right? Right. Towards that continual conversion of heart, surrendering your plans uh, to God's plan, like conforming your will to his is so hard. Amen. (laughs) It is so hard. I remember like, Lord, if you could just want what I want right now, that would That'd be so great. That'd be really great. Um, But it is so hard. But I think, too, um, I hope sharing our stories has been inspiration to other people that wherever they are in their journey, in their relationship with Jesus, that it is um, something that they come to realize um, how he has spoken to them in the past, how he is speaking to them now, Mm. and the impact that that has made for us. Like people have to see that it is transformative because it is transformative. Um, It'd be like if someone said, hey, you know, you want to be healthy. All you have to do is like take this pill and you're healthy. You can run marathons or do triathlons. And you're like, okay, well, have you taken the pill? And they're like, no. (laughs) And then you're like, well, why would I do that? Like, what are you running marathons and or doing triathlons? And like, no. And you're like, okay, well, that's just a fraud. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't work. And I think sometimes in our culture, we may see people who are like, oh yeah, Jesus is God, but it has made no difference. And so to some extent, it's sort of like, well, this is just fraudulent. Like, why would I follow this? Because it hasn't changed. If that is the case for us, 
then we really need to examine like that question, who do I say that God is? Mm-hmm. Um, because if he is someone that's intimately involved in my life and loves me and I love him, then that shapes everything. Right. Mm-hmm. The choices that I make, um, what I choose to do, how we parent, um, how we treat our spouses and our family members and strangers. Um, and so people need to see the transformative nature that it's had in our lives. So um, knowing what our story is and how God has touched us um, is is so important. Um, I, there's no replacement for that. There right. is no replacement for our own personal testimony um, because that may be the thing that really draws other people exactly. into the heart of the heart of Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been so fun. I think sharing our stories. Yes. Um, and one of the things that we're going to do in every episode is it's called into the chariot. So this is when we give you like a homework kind of assignment, you know, um, a takeaway from the, from the podcast. And, um, so our into the chariot moment this week is going to be, um, to really meditate on like, what is your story? Mm-hmm. So to really think about in the whole of your life, where have you encountered Christ? Um, and do you share it? <laughs> right? So one is just, what is your story? Um, how have you encountered him? Maybe you can't pinpoint a specific moment and don't think that that means failure, right? right? Because it right. doesn't happen the same way for every person. But we do know that God is speaking to every person. Exactly. We do know that God is ca- trying to call us all into a relationship with him. So sharing how you have experienced that to people is really important. So know what your story is. Maybe um, sometimes we call it our elevator pitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were had to share your story with someone um, while you're in an elevator, right, sort of like one to two minutes, what would you say mm-hmm. about the impact that Jesus has had for you? Mm-hmm. So you're into the chariot moment is what is your story? Yeah. Um, how have you encountered Christ? How have you seen him transform your life? And um, another thing that you can do is identify a saint whose story speaks to you. Yep. Um, so that's sort of like your homework for, <laughs> yeah. for the week. Um, what's your story? Um, how has God impacted your life? How have you encountered him? Um, and identify a saint whose story mm-hmm. speaks to you. Because we can have devotions to saints um, that really speak to us. I know after my experience with my friend Katie, my um, my confirmation saint became Saint Serafina, because she was a young girl who um, was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and um, and she just spoke to the glory of God. And I'm like, oh, I need that. Yeah. But the reason that speaks to me is because I'm not good at suffering. <laughs> You know, like if I have a headache, everyone knows about it, and I want everyone to feel sorry for me. But these women, so my friend Katie and St. Serafina, they speak to me because in their suffering, mm-hmm. they were able to point to Jesus Christ. And I am not there yet, not even close, but their story speaks to me. Absolutely. And so finding those saints um, and why their story speaks yeah. to you, because it re- reveals something very deeply, I think, about who we are as people. Exactly. Exactly. And I think even, um, as we're, as we're thinking about our stories and, um, how to articulate them to others and even reflecting on the lives of the saints, sometimes it's, it's really helpful to just sit with Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, 
show me wh- where did you show up? <laughs> how ha- how have you been acting in my life? Because I think sometimes, like you said, we have that tunnel vision, we have those blinders on, and we just kind of go into autopilot. But to allow God to to put that on our heart, this is this is where I've been. <laughs> this is um, this is how He's guided us. So yeah, I'm excited. This is this has been a really good. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> before we do close, I do want to point out something, and I I think I just made this connection when you were like, you know, go spend some time in Jesus. Mm-hmm. In my story, um, we had been going to adoration before Mm. my big encounter sort of with Mm -hmm. that experience with Katie. Mm -hmm. And you had said that you had been going to adoration. So we can just add that. Can we just like (laughs) spontaneously add into the chariot? So we're going to do this. Um, Go to adoration. Yeah. Spend time in front of Jesus because there's sometimes Mm. when the soil of our soul needs to be tilled. Yes. um, That it may not be ready yet for some some big things, right, that that, – being in the presence of Jesus prepares our soul for, you know, those those moments where he's just going to drop the seed right. to let or it more grow. More receptive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to add that. Perfect. Go to adoration. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. So like we said, we're really excited to begin this podcast and we've got plans for lots of special guests. We've been jotting down notes and um, and just want to address a lot of different topics from different perspectives. So you'll hear from me and Mickey and Dr. Trasenkos and Bishop Strickland and Doug Berry and Father Braun, our director of youth formation. Um, so just really looking at how do we live our Catholic faith? Because we're not just the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis. We're also <laughs> catechesis and evangelization. So just helping people to take this beautiful treasure of the Catholic faith and put it into action, that it really is a daily walk with Christ and that there are, are different ways that we can can put all of this um, into action. Um, so please be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube, and of course our website, stphilipinstitute.org. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what are the, the questions that you have about the Catholic faith or Catholic living. I know Mickey and I have a perspective as Catholic moms yeah. and wives. Um, but yeah, what, what types of things do you want to hear about on future episodes? And we'll try to, we'll try to address those. So you can email us at podcast at stphilipinstitute.org. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. I have enjoyed it. Um, So we're nearing the end, so we will now close with an apostolic blessing from Bishop Strickland. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.